Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have an extra special episode for you today. I am joined by two of my favorite Tegridans, Mike Geller and Raleigh Keenan. Uh, Mike is the co-founder of Tegrita and is the firm's principal technologist. Mike graduated from the famed Ryerson University in Toronto and wasted no time in building a 15-year career covering all angles of marketing technology consultancy. Mike's a self-proclaimed coffee snob, an author, a Trekkie, a husband, and a proud dad of two children. Mike is a pun-loving coffee connoisseur and believes that nothing is impossible, and his knowledge of data and analytics and the future of revenue technology makes a strong argument that he could be right. Raleigh is the CRO who resides in Colorado. He is a born leader and the key growth specialist at Tegrita as our CRO. Raleigh brings 25 years of diverse experience at the likes of LinkedIn, Oracle, Gallup, and the U.S. Olympic volleyball teams. Graduating with his MBA in marketing from Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, Raleigh has had some unique experiences in his career, including making over 500,000 cold calls, and he has even spent time in training for high-stakes negotiation protocol for hostage situations. Raleigh, Mike, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. It is so good to have you both here. Um, <laughs> it's not often that we have Tegridans on Revenue Rehab, but this extra special episode is the Revenue Takeover on Revenue Rehab. Uh, but before we jump into why we're all here, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So Raleigh, I will start with you. What buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? It's a newer one, but I've been hearing it a lot lately called indexing. So people will say, you know, I'm indexing a little more toward this kind of product or so the it's a corporate new corporate speak of like just instead of saying I'm thinking more about this, they throw in this extra indexing word as if it's a you're a machine and you're indexing this direction or something. So uh, indexing is bugging me more and more the more I hear it. I have not heard that one yet. And I'm going to say, thankfully, have not heard that one yet, because <laughs> that is a really odd way to phrase that. Like, it doesn't even roll off the like, top. Like, no, I don't want to over-index on this, but can I tell you what I feel about that? You're just like, you can just use regular words. You don't have to say <laughs> Well, I can promise that for this conversation, I will not talk about indexing. To me, that makes me think of the old school library when you have the oh, me too. 
I was like, what does that have to do with anything? Um, so indexing is going in the box. We're going to throw it away. What about you, Mike? We're banishing two words today. Wonderful. Um, so this one's more of a phrase. Um, uh, blue sky, green field. That's a popular it's one. Anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, where I don't even know where that came from. Like, it's so popular in sales of like, or even, you know, strategic conversations. It's like, what does that really even mean? Like it, I don't know. But so we will not talk about any blue skies or green fields, although it is a beautiful day here in Atlanta. Uh, we won't, we'll, we'll put those in the box as well. Uh, so now that we've gotten that off our chest, um, I have asked you guys to the couch because drum roll, it is the two year anniversary of CMO to CRO. So for anyone who is listening and is not familiar, two years ago, Mike, Raleigh, and I embarked on the journey of becoming authors. And we wrote the book, CMO to CRO, The Revenue Takeover by the Next Generation Executive. Uh, and, you know, it's it's been two years since and lots has changed in the industry. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to have you guys on the couch to talk about what we've learned, how the book is still relevant, what people are saying, all those different things. Um, and I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience an expectation of what they should take away from our discussion. So this time, Mike, I'll start with you. What is your best hope for our talk today? What would you like people to take away from the discussion? You know, understanding, uh, learning something new, um, or if you've read the book, then our perspective on why we wrote it the way we wrote it um because it uh, well we'll talk more about that later but um just understanding where we're coming from so that would be my intention okay and what about you raleigh um just the understanding that i think in a conversation like this no matter how you so i love the fact that we're setting intention up front because we just started talking i think that um generally people are like, let me get some tips. And, you know, they're kind of like paying attention. And I think what I would want to, from an intention standpoint, what I want people to understand is the book, the book is a book because what we're talking about is fairly complicated. It's complex. It involves a lot of people. It takes time. So in our book, we have a timeline. And so depending on your industry, it could be a few years to go through the journey versus Oh, this is another like alignment adjustment I can make. And so I would just say the things we're talking about are kind of bigger deals, transformational, not tactical. Yes, I, I would agree completely. And so I'm going to pose the first question to you, Raleigh. And for those that haven't read the book, can you summarize what it's about? What is the revenue takeover? So this is about... The challenge. So the overall, the book is about our experiences between the three of us, you know, and if you think about the perspectives of management, marketing and tech and or say people marketing and tech, you know, uh, 
we it's all the problems we've seen and and ways that a company handled one an organization a client handled one thing another client while we were there was handling a different part of it and all together it was what if everybody if somebody did all those things that those companies only did one of um and so it was our sort of best position on hey here's how you really could do this and so the sequence is like what is that challenge is the first part of the book you know the second part of the book is what could the future look like if you fixed it and then the third part is uh, sort of a how-to sequence of how we would go about doing that um and then and, and I, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving out the the what right it's a <laughs> revenue <laughs> sorry talking about it so vaguely it's how to how to basically attack revenue as an organization instead of separating it into sales marketing support um, and success so it's anything client facing how do you redo that uh, in a way that will work in basically in the way that businesses operate today versus so many organizations that we work with and talk to are operating just like they did in the 80s and 90s before things were digital and there was all this tech. And so they're still, they add the tech, but they keep their silos, um, right? So this is our, our say, hey, this is how you approach that. Yeah, and I think the one thing that I would add to that answer is we took a path of least resistance approach um, because with any sort of organizational change or transformation, there is a lot of times you try to, you know, another buzzword, boil the ocean. Um, and, <laughs> you <one>. know, <laughs> yeah, things change, you know, pro yeah, priorities change and like it never actually comes to fruition. And so that was one of the things that was big for us was how do we start with smaller incremental change where you can see progress and improvement as you are working towards the big picture. And I know that was one of the big things because I think collectively we have all seen these transformational kind of projects fail for one reason or another. So it's like, how do we at least get incrementally better? Um, Mike, so just for those, you know, of course I know, but for those that don't know, why did we do this? How did we decide, you know, because obviously we're all busy running a business and servicing clients. Um, how did we come to actually write a book? Well, it was, uh, you know, in one of our get togethers, um, you know, we were all in different parts of a country, right? Or countries. And, um, you know, we got together and we were talking about, you know, various things related to work. And um, it, it, it sort of came from all of us. In, in different ways. Um, for me, I was, uh, I'm, I'm a visual guy, so I, I tend to like draw things out. Uh, I was visualizing how uh, different uh, operations of uh, tech across different um, front office places could be uh, better managed if they were centrally uh, structured. And then, um, you know, it, it, that conversation uh, spurred other things and then it was like well why don't we write a book and we're like hmm okay yeah we more were like ha 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 that would sound great but when are we going to time to write a book uh <laughs> but I do think so many things in our organization in general start off with you know we 
something would happen if, or wouldn't it be cool if, or maybe we could with something that is seemingly preposterous and then we make it happen. Um, I know going into the book project, you know, when we talked about measures of success, uh, you know, we talked about all the usual things, book sales, you know, being a thought leader, getting our ideas out there. And I know one of the things that I said that I was looking forward to were the trolls um, and, you know, the, the naysayers who won't believe or uh, the negative reviews of what the book uh, is about. And one of the things, you know, going through all of our reviews, one of the things that came up a couple times is people talked about how the authors, as in us, uh, spent all this time defining what the current state is, what the problems are, and talking about what the future looks like. And then the complaint was when it got to the solution and the how that it was light on detail, um, that they were looking for a more prescriptive, exact, here are the steps. And when I read that, I chuckle a little bit because I know that that was intentional. Um, so I'd love to, you know, hear your perspectives and, and whoever like can jump in. Um, why isn't there more intricate detail around the how? I guess I'll go first. Um, you know, we wanted to put forth a framework that could be applied as broadly as possible. So the more specific you get into the details, the more narrow the focus is, and the more specific it is to a kind of company. And we wanted to uh, create a path forward so that with guideposts along the ways and milestones and markers uh, so that you'd know um, where you are in the journey. But there are so many unique uh, elements and challenges uh, to every single company. I mean, every organization is a little bit different. Uh, even within the same industry, um, same sort of niche, companies are still organized differently. They're managed differently. They have different cultures. So, uh, you know, having a, a broad framework for how to get there seemed to make the most amount of sense because then it could be internalized by, you know, each reader for themselves, for their experiences. Yeah. Raleigh, anything you want to add? I mean, I, as usual, a bit of a joke popped in my head of like, well, just hire us. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think number one, no matter what detail we put in, it would be the wrong detail for whoever read it. And that's a little bit to Mike's point of we had to keep it broad. Um, but also like, you know, we wanted to get the idea out there and the, the chapters themselves in the third section of the book, those chapters are in a sense, detail of those guideposts, right? Here's the next stage. Here's the next stage. Here's the next stage, you know, and to like, well, what exactly do I do? That is a, uh, a consulting firm like Tegreta jumps in there and tells you, in the engagement, all right, based on what's going on here, that we would never know <laughs> until we're here, how you would, it would still be in the same framework, each stage would be the same, but exactly what we do to make it effective would be different, you know, everywhere. And that's, that's the, uh, the ultimate terrible consultant answer of, well, it depends, but 
I mean, yeah. we, we got that, pretty, I would say we got pretty specific. Yeah. And it's like, I think what some people look for is because there are so many business books out there that are written very prescriptively. Like here is yeah. exactly what you should be successful. Do. Yes. And to me, that works great when you're talking about something on a much smaller scale that right. is more consistent. Like if we wrote a book on how to implement a marketing technology platform, like the steps are for the most part pretty consistent and we could go pretty detailed. Um, but a change of this magnitude with different industries, different size companies, different organizational structures, like all of these things are so nuanced that, you know, if we tried to cover all the variations, this, this book could, you know, be like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings kind of <laughs> thickness. Uh, yeah. yeah. It would both be magical and impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, I think the other um, air quotes complaint that I saw in some of the reviews was why did they spend so much time outlining the problem? We're marketers. We all know this is the problem. Um, and, you know, it's like one of those where I'm like, yeah, but there, there's a lot of value in validation in really painting the picture of what is actually happening in your organization. Because until you really internalize that there's a real problem, you're not going to make the effort to do something about it. And so I know we made a conscious decision to really hammer home, and in some cases, repeatedly and from different angles, what the problems are that we see. Any other thoughts, what you'd say to those naysayers? You know, if, 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 if it kind of goes to what you were saying, Brandy, around um, making sure that it, it's felt, um, you know, you, you will not want to embark on this massive journey if you don't feel like it's worth it, right? Like, you know, by the time you get through section one, which is the problem, um, you're like, okay, great. I, I, I know this. I, I read this. I experience some of this in different, sh uh, different, um, different ways. But, and the future sounds great. And, and how am I going to get there? So you really have to be invested in order to do this because it's not easy. It, it, it's going to take years. Like, ultimately, it's organizational transformation, reorganization. Like, it's, it's people, it's, uh, people's jobs in terms of what they do day to day. There's a lot that would that would have to change. Like there needs to be a good amount of pain felt and realized in order to make that change worthwhile. Because if it's just something that you put up with, you just accept it. And you know, as as a well, this is simply what I have to deal with every day, and that is life. But if there's a path forward, then it's something to think about. And then you know. You, you move forward down, um, uh, move forward there because you want to get rid of the pain. And, you know, I, I agree completely because if you think about doing this effectively, like we're talking about changing pay structures and roles that exist and depart, you know, like there it's, it's not just, it's not just a marketing thing. Like it, it's, it's not just like, 
how do we do, you know, ABM better? Like it, it really is something that is true organizational change. And I don't want to spend our whole time talking about the naysayers. I want to fast forward because we are now two years out. And so I'd like to ask both of you, Raleigh, I'll start with you. Now we're two years later. Do you still feel the revenue takeover is relevant? I do. Um, I just got off a call right before this call about everything that's wrong. And it's basically a uh, rendition of the first part of our book. I mean, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's relevant. It's happening. Um, and because how we've laid it out and how it's a long-term thing, and this is not a tactical, I'm going to learn this over the weekend and imp implement it. Uh, it. It also has plenty of runway because plenty of organizations have never thought of it still, or if they've thought of it, that sounds too hard. You know, you have to think about the life cycle of, of businesses. So most of the growing businesses are private equity uh, led businesses or VC on their way to private equity led and, they're trying to flip a company around in three years. That is it. They don't have time. So they're like, hey, let's just do what we did back in the 90s. Let's have a head of marketing, a head of sales, a head of success, a, you know, and it, it'll be fine. We've been doing this. And so they're, and so those are the growing, most of the growing businesses. And then you've got those that aren't in that situation and there's less of them and they're not trying to grow by 10x over the next five years. They're just trying to have a good business. Um, and then you've got the giant, giant companies who try to invent everything themselves. Um, you know, if they're going to do, uh, I always laugh at Google, they'll try to do everything. So be like, they invent their own way to assess people. All of a sudden they're assessment experts. They're like, oh, we have another way of doing this. We invented it at Google. You know, and it's like, really? Like you're just going to invent everything like that might not work. Uh, so because of that, it's what we write about in our book, super relevant. It's got a long runway because only there's only so many people who are going to say, I'm going for this because most people are like, should I go for that? Cause I'm going to be gone in two years. Like, why don't I just kind of ride this out and maybe I'll steal a couple of tactics that I heard, I'll try to do those in isolation. So um, there's super relevant, long runway. We're going to be talking about this for a long time, I think. Mike, what's your perspective? Oh, I, I agree. Um, I, I feel it's more relevant now than before. You know, before, it, you know, it's like, this is what we think is the future. And now I'm like, yeah, that, that's the future. Um, there's definitely more certainty now than, than, than before. And also, you know, seeing different aspects um, uh, kind of alive in some of the uh, organizations I've had the opportunity to, of working with, it is a, an additional validation point, like where there is alignment where, um, and I'm going to use the sales marketing uh, example that everyone's so familiar with, but when uh, sales and marketing is working together on a project, the cohesion and the flow is is, is just magical relative to when it isn't. And it's like, ah, okay, we hit a wall, project stops, 
uh, hopefully it'll pick back up again, uh, or, you know, assuming people don't forget about it and move on to something else entirely. So this notion that you know there should be a revenue team with functions of sales, marketing, success, and support is more true. Like I believe it wholeheartedly more so than it originally. And so you actually led into my next question, which is talking about what aspects of the takeover we are actually seeing companies adopt. Um, And so you gave one good one. I'll I'll jump in and answer my own question first. Um, One thing that I'm seeing, you know, we talk about lining up, you know, behind the tech and, and trying to get the technology right. And even just looking at in the past two years, just the projects that we've worked on. In addition, you know, as I'm in different communities with heads of marketing and and CROs, I see the same conversations of projects that they're embarking on, which is actually getting their technology working together, getting things integrated, getting the data flowing in a way that you can start to get meaningful insights from the technology and create that cohesive customer experience. Um, And so that is one place, you know, which we've deemed the first step in this process that I am seeing, you know, it was like we went through this phase of everyone was like, bye, 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 when it came to technology. And I'm seeing so many companies now that are just quite frankly, like, we're not buying shit else. Like, it's a done deal. Figure out how to make the stuff we have work well and work for us. And so you know, that alone, like when the marketing automation and the CRM talk to each other and all these ancillary technologies are are giving data and insight, like that alignment and and clear view of the data, like just that step alone makes such an incredible difference at both, you know, marketing and sales and even success, like all the revenue teams really being able to be successful. Um, Raleigh, any examples? Because I know you see a, a lot, you have a lot of different conversations than Mike and I are involved in. Any examples of things that you have seen and heard people adopting from the takeover? Well, I think, you know, no surprise, I think to any of us or anyone listening to this is, you know, uh, RevOps was not so much of a thing as it was after our we wrote the book or after we started the book. <laughs> So that's, that is, um, definitely it is, it is like, uh, uh, um, popular or trendy. Like, do we have a RevOps person? Why not? You know, let's get a RevOps leader and I'll throw in the, uh, the Debbie Downer side of that. It's like, I see that. And then I watch everybody ask, so, so where do I put this? RevOps team should should I have them report to marketing or sales? Or I saw one one person ask, should I have them report to the CEO? So so they're like grabbing one part and ignoring the the whole transformation and going, well now I have this, which everyone says I should have. So now I've got it, and now I don't know how to make it work right because like they're there but sales doesn't want to use them. They keep buying their own tech, you know, marketing's using them as best they can, but it keeps, you know, getting in the way. 
you know, then not letting RevOps really do anything. Um, there were still on IT schedule, in other words. You know, one big part of the book is modern front office, which is separating all the tech that's, you know, go to market and client facing and operating in a way that's fat and moves at the speed of the market versus, you know, the back end, you know, back office technology, they can run at the speed that makes sense, right? Infrastructure, security, we're going to make that change. Cool. We'll put that in 2026, you know, like they're running at a speed that does not match revenue. And I watch people grab the revenue ops, pull it in and go, oh, we don't know what to do with it now. Like we did it. We have a RevOps person, which is super, makes us look very good, um, you know, but they don't they don't finish it. Yeah, and it's so interesting you brought up that point because I can remember, you know, because it, it took about a year from start to finish for us to go from the decision to write the book to it actually launching um, in the middle of a global pandemic uh, on top of that. But I can remember early on having some debates about whether we should use the terms RevOps and RevTech because at that point, they were such unknown terms. And we were like, we got to put definitions around it so it makes yeah. sense. And if you think about it, by the time the book came out, like there's, you know, been RevOps communities and it's starting to be more of a title and like head of RevOps and, you know, um, thinking about like anybody that's going back, you can go back to uh, episode 50 where I talked to Rosalind Santa Elena, who is one of the most known, you know, RevOps, uh, you know, SMEs, so to speak, in, in the industry. And we talked about like what it is, where it should live, why it's important. And so if you just think about like the debates we had around like, should we say that? Should we use a more generic term to just when it went live? To, you know, even fast forward now of, you know, how many even again, just looking at our clients have a RevOps team, um, right. you know, and not even just the person. So there is a lot that I do think that when we started the book, we were like uh, almost ahead of some of the trends. And by mm -hmm. the time it came out, it was like, oh, this is the kind of thing that everybody's talking about now. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, and then... I'd say, you know, I always like to reflect, like, if you knew then what you know now, is there anything about the book that you would change? Probably not. Um, like, I, I guess I tend to be more forward looking and like, I, I'm happy with, uh, you know, where we uh, arrived at, at the book. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, if, I would love to maybe have us do like a second edition version, like in three years or something where we kind of move things forward and update it and uh, take some of the learnings and clarify some points and things of that nature. But I think where kind of a world is today and, and no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change anything. What about you, Raleigh? No, I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't want to write a book again. <laughs> um, that was that was kind of hard um i mean i it's one of the i guess it's one of those things where like i guess i i guess i would you know if we all decided to i'm sure it'd be like yeah let's do it but but it you know it was time consuming and took 
a bunch of brain power and you know what people I think don't realize when you write a book and especially the way we did it you know there are three of us that's not common uh we used uh help so we had a professional writer helping us that's not always the case um and we were in a situation I felt like we were evolving our own thinking while we were writing the book so as we had to tackle like how do we make this clear you know I'd weigh in from one angle, Brandy weigh in, Mike weigh in, and we'd be like, and then I felt like I had like a better understanding of my own idea. Uh, and that just kept ha happened over the course of a year. Right. So um, I wouldn't change any of that. I wouldn't change what we wrote. I know I've told you guys, um, you know, I get, and you guys get it too. Um, you know, some would be like, Hey, I'm Bob and I wrote a book. Can I send you six copies of my book? You know, and I'm <laughs> Like, please don't do that, uh, you know, and so I end up recycling, you know, five of the six. And then I open their book and it's not written in a way that's very readable or very fun. And so what's one thing I like about our book and why I wouldn't want to redo it is when I have sat down and reread it, you know, we read. It's another thing when you write in a book, by the way, you're going to have to read your book a lot. Uh, you know, so we were. <laughs> rereading chapters over and over as we edited. But when I read it now as a finished product, like I'm always like really kind of impressed how well it's written. Um, we have our ideas, but boy, you can have ideas. And that was actually when you were talking to Mike about the trolls and them saying, basically, um, I don't like how you stay hung out on the problem so long, right? And I went to a whole different place than you guys did, which is not unusual. That's why we all work well together. But when I heard that, I was like, oh, great. They're giving us advice on how to write a book. Like, thanks. <laughs> you know, thanks, Dr. Smith, for weighing in. On how we, because that's all that is. Like, you know, it was a professional writer. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, saying, you know, we shouldn't have uh, – I, I should – I, I should, you know, design something a certain way when you, you're not a design expert, you just don't like it. Um, like this is how you design a book. You lay out the problem, you know, you know, like, like I don't like that movie because you just built up and then all, only in the very end did the guy die. Like you should have just told me that at the beginning. I'm like, <laughs> what kind of movie expert are you? So that's what I wouldn't want to change it because I think, it's written in a really nice way. Like you really get to engage with us about the problem. We've seen the future in different clients. So we like, so we have a whole section around like what future can look like because we know. Um, and then putting it all together on how, you know, being that we've helped people get different people do different parts of it. We can do this whole long, here's how we would do it all. So I I like it a lot. How we, how we put it together. I wouldn't, yeah, I had one thing that I debated with myself. Um, and in the end, I decided I wouldn't actually change it. But what I debated is the CRO title, because in talking to people, people get hung up there and miss the point. And it drives me crazy because right now it's like people think about oh, there's no way I would want marketing reporting into a CRO. Like if that happens, I'd quit. And like marketing should never report to sales. Like that's a horrible idea. And like 
foundationally, I agree. Like the CROs of today are sales leaders. Like they are not revenue leaders. They lead the sales function and they have a CRO title. And like, so people miss that. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that marketing should report into the CROs of today because that would be a disaster for all the reasons why no one wants that to happen. We are redefining what the CRO role is. And yeah. so I really debated, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish we had called it CMO to anything but CRO because it creates this debate that is so missing the point. Um, but then in the end, I was like, no, like it really is the right title. I mean, you could call it chief yeah. market officer, but that's a little long. Um, but it really is, right. you know, CGTMO, like what the <laughs> hell is that? Um, but like it really is bringing together all of the revenue functions and breaking away from that role being a glorified sales position. And, you know, we've seen it happen in other um, other organizations, you know, thinking about it, like going way, way back. Uh, I talked to Helen uh, Baptist, Baptiste uh, in episode 23, where at the time Helen was leading a single revenue team where she owned all of revenue under the title of COO. Um, and so that was, you know, different title, but you know, she was mm -hmm. living and breathing our books. So if you haven't gone back, you know, haven't go back and listen to episodes 23 and 50 um, as they are super relevant. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was my one, like if we had to do it again, you know, I'd like try to not get people stuck on that. But, you know, I think no matter what title we stuck it, you know, stuck in there, someone would argue the issue with that particular title. And it's like, that's not the point. Well, it's, and I think it's uh, um, just on the topic, not on the topic of changing the book, but the topic of CRO being that I'm a CRO, I have maybe more to say about than most, but the, the thing I find interesting slash aggravating about it is it's not just that people see it as, well, that's a, the former head of sales. Now he's just a C title. Um, it's actually worse because I've seen at least four versions of the CRO that I can pinpoint as very different roles. Um, and it makes it very, and it makes it very difficult, um, to talk about, and this is maybe kind of what you're referring to, Brandy. It makes it difficult to talk about everything under it, it, it like the reasons for it. Because I'm talking about CRO and I'm thinking about revenue. You're talking about CRO and you're either talking about sales, you're talking about pricing, you're talking about reporting, you're talking about, you're, you're, you're in, and we could have that, we could be talking for half an hour and I could maybe never pick up on that until the end. And I'm like, wait a second, are you? So like, you know, one organization I ran into has a CRO and a CCO and head of marketing. And I don't understand that at all, but basically the CRO is in charge of giving numbers to the board, like every number. 
every aspect of every number from, you know, Ooh. cost of acquisition to, you know, if, uh, like they're a chief reporting officer. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. I'm like, why you have that job? Like, I don't understand. And then a CCO is like head of sales in a B2B environment. But they have zero connection to marketing and zero connection to the CRO. And then, um, and then there's head of marketing who's doing whatever uh, and may or may not be aligned with the other two sort of revenue, C-level revenue execs. So, and this is, you know, private equity-led, funded, high hopes and dreams of flipping that and selling it off to some big company. But... Yeah, it's frustrating in like a in a way of like it's difficult to get on the same page with somebody to have a conversation about revenue because you can't even get it straight at the, at the top. Even if I say it, oh well, you know, head of this, and then halfway through the conversation, they'll refer to it as the head of sales again. I'm like, time out. Like I thought we covered <laughs> it. So yeah, yeah so it, it's a it's dicey in a in a deep way. And my last question, so for those, uh, you know, generally most of our audience is head of marketing. Um, for those that are listening who have not read the book, what is a takeaway from the book that you'd like to highlight that you feel may resonate with people? And so I'll give you guys a uh, couple seconds to think and I'll give my answer first. Um, for me, it is the what gets measured gets done. Um, the domino effect is my favorite chapter in the book uh, because it is, you know, it's been early in my career. I recognize this as a huge problem where, you know, even if you are separate, you know, all the revenue functions are separate teams where employees have competing goals and priorities. And so how they are measured as individual contributors is conflicting with one another between departments. And I've even seen it interdepartmentally where people have competing goals. And one thing that if you are leading marketing or hell, leading any function, if your teams and your team's counterparts have goals that conflict, you are setting the individuals and the business up for failure. And so you really have to like, you know, and I, I give the example in the book um, of where, you know, I was measured on leads and I was generating all these leads, but sales was only comped on a certain type of leads. And that was not the leads I was generating. So I was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year generating very qualified leads that sales could give two shits about because they weren't comped on what I needed to sell. So I was wasting company money. Like I was doing great from an individual performance perspective, but my efforts were completely wasted. And so it is important that even if you don't own all of the revenue functions, that you make sure that as a leader, how you are measuring your team aligns to where you want their efforts to be focused and that those measures don't conflict with the other parts of the revenue process. So that's my key takeaway. The domino effect is the chapter where we talk about that a lot along with other places in the book, but that's the big one.
Um, so Raleigh or Mike, I don't know if either of you want to go first. What's your takeaway that you from the book that you really want people to know is there if they haven't read it? Um, I'll, I mean, I'll take the technology angle. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, so the you know how to get started on all of this is getting behind the tech and starting to reorganize the tech and really that means taking ownership of a technology and servicing all the other functions with that technology so that you then have oversight of all of the technology utilized to support revenue so that includes the tech that sales uses the tech that support teams are using the tech that um service teams are using because then you have the oversight of all of the technologies and that allows you to re-architect the technologies get the data flow to go and once the technology is unified and centrally managed that is the momentum builder for greater change if you can get that done then you you'll have a much greater chance of success with everything else and Raleigh, we'll leave it to you last to bring us home. So I, I uh, am uh, focused a lot on, there's a chapter towards the end called What Real Change Looks Like. And, and I think it's worth understanding uh, a bit to my intention of the transformational aspect of this and that, you know, right now sales, you know, if they've got problems with the leads that are coming over as an example, you know, that they, they're going to deal with it by either ignoring them or doing their own thing or, or something like that, you know, because they're in sales and leads come from marketing, right? What real change looks like is when everyone feels, knows they're on the same team and I don't, I'm not getting what I need. I stand up you know, virtually if you're remote, but you stand up and walk over and say, what's going on here? Our, we're expected to have an average deal size of 100K. Everything coming over here, these people are expecting something for 10K. Like, why are we attracting the wrong people? What is there messaging that makes people think that we sell a cheap product? You know, and and things get shifted and things get talked about and worked on because they're one team versus like, you know, I don't know what's been going on for the last six months, but I missed my goal. So I don't like you guys. Yeah. Uh, you're not helpful to me. Right. So real, I like that chapter. I think it's important part of it to bring it home of like, and by the way, the people side of this, people should be feeling and acting and, and moving as if, they have control over what's going on, not things are, are landing on them. And if it doesn't work for them, then they ignore that other siloed department. I love it. So, uh, ordinarily, at this point in the show, I would ask for the one thing that we want people to do. But in this case, the answer to that is pretty self-explanatory. If you have not already, you got to read the book. Um, so... It is available pretty much everywhere that books are sold. Um, fastest way to get to it is just go to revenuetakeover.com um, and it links to all the places. You can also see our lovely faces, some of the reviews and other content related to the episode. 
Um, well, Mike and Raleigh, it has been such a pleasure. I appreciate you all for taking the time to come to the couch. Um, but that's our time for today. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Um, again, if you haven't already, go to revenuetakeover.com to purchase the book. Um, and for other episodes, we encourage you to go back to episodes 23 and 50 to continue the conversation. Thank you all for joining us. That's our time for today. Until next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.